Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. And we're back in action. We took a little break there, but we did it for a good reason because we wanted to get some things sorted out. We've got a really exciting episode for you guys today. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about the history of city missions in the Adventist church. It's a very expansive topic because there's just so much history to the church from the, the late 1800s up until our time. And we, uh, we took a while to f- kind of figure stuff out and how to reach people. And, and, but we still have this rich history to go into. But before we do that, I'm going to ask Bob over here to uh, start us off with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your blessed love to each one of us. And um, pray that now as we discuss some of these important things in history and church and in the way that you uh, plan to reach the cities, you'll bless us and um, bless those that are listening to us as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, where does our story start off, Jeff? Yeah, it, it starts with uh, a problem that the church faced and that society was changing in the late 1870s and 1860s, 1870s, where people were migrating towards cities, urban settings, and uh, Lots of things influenced that, but most of it was just to find jobs and security for their families. And, uh, and so we, we, the church is looking at that and saying, well, how do we reach those people, especially in congested places like New York? Mm-hmm. So you've got all these people who are moving from living in the country where there's lots of farming going on, the industrial revolution is going on, and there's people working in factories and everything that goes with that from child labor laws to just congestion and people living on top of each other and tenements, all kinds of city problems that we just haven't figured out yet in the history of the United States. Yeah. And, and some of it too was the, the great ports of immigration. People just moved there and they stayed. And as immigration increased over time, uh, places like New York and Philadelphia just kept growing and growing and growing. And that became you know, a difficult assignment for the church, which is called to preach the gospel of Jesus everywhere. Yeah. And, and I think it's um, a lot of times things like this are driven by economic concerns. People living, you know, in a, in a farming type of setting, you're often at the uh, um, mercy of the weather. Uh, and so to, for people to have stable jobs and incomes that would be provided by um, this move towards a more, industrial society uh, is why people begin to aggregate now in, into, into urban clusters. And, and what they faced in 1870 was kind of interesting because the, the data, it's just, you know, is, is pretty indicative of what they faced. There was 75, almost 75% of the people in, in the United States in 1870 were rural. They were living outside of, you know, these uh, urban centers, so to speak. And by 1920, that had gotten to close to 50% uh, or had dropped to 50%. And, and so they, the, the church was anticipating or looking at that and seeing that there was a trend that was occurring. And so the ministry had to adjust to the trend. And today uh, in the United States, what's, what would you say that would you have the, the statistic on what well, I can give you Pennsylvania urban? where we're here, where we're at, right. it's 80 to 81% are either in urban centers or urban clusters as defined by uh, the United States. And so that's pretty much going to be a world statistic. 
it's not so too the, far it's, off. It's, it's becoming a worldwide phenomena as well. Right. I was just recently in Thailand, and there it's 95% are urbanized. In Korea, it might even be close or higher than that. Yeah. And the, the culture, the culture transforms to, because of that, because you have all these people living in the same space, culture just changes and adapts to that living environment. So you don't have the slow pace of, of the farmlands. And, you know, like you said, Bob, depending on the weather, it's like, well, am I going to get up early today? Well, no, it's snowing and I can't go out and do the crops. But now here it's every day is grind, grind, grind. And, and I think that this is, you know, a good thing to, to think about. And that is, is that this is the most important point in time just before Jesus comes again and everybody's aggregating in these big city centers. And so we're convinced that Jesus has always had a plan for such a time as this. And that's why we've talked about other models like in Ephesus and Capernaum, because Jesus is coming to take as many people back to heaven with him as he possibly can. And so the, uh, I personally am concretely um, believe that God has always had a plan for such a time as this. Yeah, and 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 I, I suppose I remember when I used to think about missionaries in the past. You know, we would send them. You know, the missionaries were going off to foreign lands where we would think there were some people that were kind of scattered ab- abroad. Um, and it seems like that situation is almost reversed. It's almost like the the mission fields now have become. These, these great urban centers because that's, that's where uh, the populations have aggregated themselves. And so, the, so the, the, uh, um, the call of the Great Commission still remains the same, uh, but sometimes we have to adjust, adjust our perspective onto exactly where, where our mission is and where our mission fields are. Sometimes they're in our own backyard. Now, this is strategic thinking for the church at, at large, for any church at large, so to speak, so how did the, the church during this time adjust to the needs of the people? Yeah, I, I think it, it took them a long time to kind of develop a plan. And even today we struggle with it, uh, but it's there. So I, I think uh, starting in 1870, they began down a path to formulate something a little bit more um, that fit the urban setting and close to what Paul was doing and Jesus was trying to attempt to do in the cities that we've looked at before. It started with a, with a man uh, who was kind of asked to do that, and we'll focus on him. His name is Elder Haskell, Stephen Haskell. And uh, he kind of, through the years, kind of started and then added to and finally put a composite together of what uh, urban ministry would look like. And after 45 years or so working at it, it all came to fruition. So it started in 1870 with him, and this is going to start sounding like some of the things that we've studied before. So you guys, you know, can chime in and tell us what we've seen in the past. Um, it started with him starting what's what they called a, uh, um, a, a attracted missionary society. So what does that sound like to you? Cole Portering or literature evangelism. Yeah. It, which is, remember we said in previous discussions, what is that in terms of a model? Uh, the, yeah, depending on the the, the, the the technology of the day, right? Um, it's just the way of disseminating information on the broadest scale that you can. So, in- right, right. So you have Paul who's preaching, and then his his sermons or his, his preaching is being written down. He's probably 
uh, dictating it to a scribe. And then those letters are being sent out to the different churches. Like you have Romans and all the epistles, all the, all the letters that um, he's writing. And then you have Luke there who's doing the same thing. And he's writing down an account of, of the life of Jesus. And so those letters are circulating and the stories about surrounding Jesus and the apostles are, are, are just going around and, and being shared. Right. And of course, last time we, we, when we talked about Jesus settling himself in Capernaum, uh, we noted that that was strategic in, in the, the fact that it was located really on a major crossroads of trade and travel so that he was there and he preached and he talked and what he taught would, would be uh, intersected by people that were passing through and it could be disseminated then to, uh, to a larger um, groups. Right. And so that's why Haskell really settled in, uh, started work in, in New York City because it was such a, a major crossroads for immigration, for commerce, all those things. And with the availability now of printing, which of course started back uh, in actually with Gutenberg in, in the time of the Reformation, but, but now has become you know, a major, major source of uh, cataloging and, and putting down information and being able to duplicate it in, in large, uh, large quantities so that people can, uh, so that many people can be benefited by it. So literature evangelism becomes, becomes a, a, a tool of the technology that's available. So that was kind of what they started out with. And it, it kind of, that, that idea of city missions, because that's what they were trying to do was establish missions, uh, was primarily driven from this call porter or this uh, literature evangelist ministry of the time. And we should think about like, you know, we've made the application already that today, if we're not using the technology that could drive that the furthest, like the internet and podcasting and whatever. Video, blogs, you name it. We've missed out on. Yeah, it's those force multipliers. Force right? multipliers, yeah. So by 1889, right around 1890, two decades later, they, the church decided, okay, we need to add an element to the canvassing and to the literature call, call porter work. And they decided that they needed to have Bible instructors roll right, right alongside the, the call porters. And uh, so that's uh, kind of the second thing that we, of the three agencies that we talked about, right? We have a leadership type team. Yeah. But, but also like they, you know, they're including now they're cl- including not, it's not just literature evangelism, but it's Bible work as well. Oh, the gospel, the ministry, gospel ministry going alongside it. Right. right. Yeah. So they're being more intentional about not just here, have some information, right. but sitting down with people and explaining it and following up on interests with people. And, and then the, of course the third element that came into it is that same year in, in, in the 1890s, they began to do uh, what uh, a writer named Robinson said that they began to do welfare ministries as well. Now these, all these things are focused in what were called city missions or things that were in, you know, places in cities that we call today centers of influence or whatever, um, hope life centers. Um, and they were beginning to develop a concept as to how these things should work back then. So they had welfare ministries, working out of them. They had, they were doing literature evangelism out of it. They were doing gospel ministry work. And it was around 1893 that another thing was added. And that was that because be, of a famous doctor. Right. The medical ministry with Dr. Kellogg. Yeah. And if you've eaten your cornflakes, you'll know who Dr. Kellogg is. Right. And they, they created an enormous um, 
uh, mission in the Chicago area. I mean, if you want some fun reading, go read about what they did there. The amount of people they fed and cared for was just phenomenal. Right. At the sanitarium, you mean? Yes, in Chicago. Right. And how all the, really a lot of famous people actually. That's a, in there. Battle Creek, you're talking about in that, that, but this was like in, in Chicago city oh, right. where they had just multiple large, I mean, sometimes when I think about what we do at Simplicity, just multiply that by a thousand, you know, in terms of all the ministries combined and they were doing something enormous there. And so they added that next element. Now we've got pretty much, we've got the three agencies that we talked about covered, right? You know, that it's important for, and if you, if you remember the thought, the thought was that one of these should not supersede the others, right? The gospel ministry, the literature evangelism and the medical missionary work or health ministry slash welfare ministry, one shouldn't supersede each other. So it's a very important a balancing balance of, of all of for, them. for it to be taking place. I, in fact, I, I believe there was a time when the, there was some counsel given to a man not to go in and interfere with uh, Elder Haskell's work by starting some campaigns there that, that uh, he was doing just fine. Yeah, it was a new way of thinking. And so the influential people of the day, basically, this the fellow came into town and he was a typical evangelist with all the beasts and stuff like that. And they basically said to him, you know, stay away from that work. Let it let it blossom with Elder Haskell. And uh, yeah, that's I just that's a very interesting point because usually we, when we think of going into a city in a place, we say, "Hey, we need to have an evangelistic series." But the Haskells were actually getting the support that no, this type of work needs to be done where we're meeting people one on one and and taking care of their needs and showing them uh, through personal interaction and um, personal effort what what could be done to to help people to see Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty cool that the way this all kind of came together over time, because by 1901, 31 years after Haskell did his first uh, tract missionary journey or adventure, he now goes to New York City with the whole plan. And he, he undertakes it there in this, the biggest city in the country. And, uh, and it's interesting, like, you know, he goes... And one of the concepts that we've talked about before, he doesn't go alone. He goes with his wife, who's his partner in ministry. And they, uh, they go right downtown New York in a very large building. I forget what floor, but they were way up in the building. And they begin a ministry in this big apartment building in the middle of New York City. And so we see that the concept of going two by two, we've talked about that before. And then the first thing they do is they began to gather a group of people around them to work with them. So we've, we've seen that concept before too, right? And in uh, a leadership team and, and working and then immediately working with people from the community to develop a uh, discipled team as well. So now I'm going to uh, read a composite paragraph. And as I read it, you guys kind of pick out some of these things we've been teaching to see how this plan is no different than what we've heard before. Okay. It yeah, starts out like this is he, this is Haskell. He captained a diverse core of work and workers in the country's metropolis, New York city. And he set forth a plan. So this is a plan, right? right. With a diverse core of workers. With a diverse core of workers. Much as Paul did. Yes. And, and, and Jesus, mm-hmm. to be honest with right. you. Um, 
forth a plan for a comprehensive and well-articulated city campaign. I mean, just think about that, right? Mm-hmm. How often do we have a well-articulated and comprehensive plan? Right, in something, place? something where everybody's working together and everybody knows what each person is supposed to be doing rather than having to guess and email back and forth. I think, <laughs> at least I know I've had those kind of situations where I really didn't know what to do and, you know, the, the project wasn't coordinated well and things fell through and, you know, there was still fruit from it, but. Well, how often have you been <laughs> yeah. in a city where there's maybe five churches and one of them has no idea what the other four right. are doing or, and so that's not well articulated or comprehensive because Paul, one of, uh, one of Haskell's, theme was to go to each church and try to get them to work together towards the same goal. So he wants to show us a more excellent way. Then. A more excellent way is right. And so, okay, so it contained the following. This is the plan. Uh, that house-to-house literature work be conducted. There should be two things jumping out, out at us there. So house-to-house. House-to-house. Who, who else did house-to-house work? Well, that sounds like Jesus. Jesus and, and, Paul. and Paul. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 19, it's it articular. In chapter 20, it articulates. And they're doing that. literature work. And they're doing literature work. Okay, they're disse- so there's, disseminating the information. Right. The in second, a non- non-threatening manner. Non-threatening, right. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, is that those open doors became places for Bible studies to be given by competent instructors. Okay, so there, that means that part of the team that's working there are competent Bible instructors. That's right. They, be, they have to be able to articulate the gospel yeah. ministry, right? In all its aspects, because we've spoken about this before. That's a big topic area, right? And so that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples, right? When he sent them out, mm-hmm. he started, you know, to go prepare the way for him. And mm-hmm. he also did that in the synagogues. Right. You know, he went and they taught. And, and that's what Paul was doing with the people in the school of Tyrannus, right? He was trying right. to teach them to be ready to articulate the gospel moving ahead. Um, and so they, they did the literature work, they did Bible studies. Uh, and then it says that, uh, that health service and education be given through things like vegetarian restaurants, hydropathic treatment rooms and lectures. So we have the third element there. So centers of influence, centers of influence and the in, health message the health, or, yeah, or, you know, or in, in even welfare work is involved there or meeting people's needs through medical missionary work. Right. Right. In its broadest sense. In its broadest sense. And those things, like uh, one of the things I would like for us to think about, because this was the uh, early part of the night uh, of, of 19, yeah, it was probably 1903 or four when this was happening. Um, I want us to not get pragmatic that that means that we should be doing vegetarian restaurants, hydropathic treatment rooms, and lectures. It also is not saying that we, sh- we can't do those things. It's just, just that just like with the literature evangelism, we have to contemporize it to what right. is most effective in the culture today. Yeah, and that's Correct. what we've had to do at Simplicity, you know, going out into the community, uh, talking to people, seeing what their life issues are, and then meeting our, uh, forming our, our programming around that. You can't just assume that whatever uh, programs you've done before are what people in a new location are also going to need. It, it may be applicable, but you're not going to know what people need until you find out, you ask them, you take a look around. Now, one of those things, like we can figure these things out now too, because of the advance in technology. And I just did a lecture uh, not too long ago. And like in Pennsylvania here, 
48% of the population is either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Okay, so as a target group, you know, one in two people have that problem. We should be, from our health educational perspective, that should be something we can help with people, people with so that it opens the door to the gospel. Yeah, we, so. we just started an exercise class. Uh, one of our uh, ladies uh, who's been just raring to go doing something at the center, she, uh, we got her all set up and, and uh, she had seven people from the community came, come out. Yeah. And she's one of our discipleship team yeah. members that's now deciding to be leader. So that's very exciting. So thank you, Kenny. Yeah. And so, and now the paragraph goes on to, to this. It says, when the groundwork has been sufficiently done. Okay. Does that take on any meaning to us today? Well, we got to do our homework. Yeah, this is more than homework. This is groundwork. What's the difference between, what would you say? Well, it's, you're going to have to actually get in there and, and meet people, talk to people, make the context, and that's the groundwork that needs mm-hmm. to be done. You have to the, the, the foundation has to be laid before you can. You have that 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 needs to be built on. So this isn't just information exchange. No, this right. is meeting people and mentoring. And right. I, I think the reason I'm getting yeah. to that because that's we've talked about that before too. Is is that? I mean, if you think about Jesus and the way he did things, he met people, you know, and he spent time with them. And Paul did too. You know, they, yeah. they stayed, Jesus stayed in Capernaum for years. Paul stayed in Ephesus for years. They were part of that community. So forming relationships with people, having them know that you are a decent human being who actually makes their life better. <laughs> right. And then, you know, what they did, what he did then was when that was sufficiently done, they would have evangelistic meetings. And today we would call those reaping meetings, which is perfectly appropriate if the groundwork has been laid. Right. Yeah. But when we don't do that, then we... Well, it becomes much less efficient. Dip them and drop them. <laughs> it's an information exchange if it's not that way. There's not, we're, not, uh, we're not building relationships with other people and for Jesus Christ. And then it says that all these workers, and there were quite a few of them, would be united and so far as feasible, resident in a central worker school. What does that sound like? Uh, that sounds like mentoring. Mentoring, yeah. And it also sounds very much like Ephesus in the school of Tyrannus, where mm-hmm. people were being taught uh, to in, in the city to be an influence on that city. Right. So learning how to reproduce what had just happened. Right. So the reason we bring this up is because it's pretty clear that the church kind of came around to a good idea that was exactly or close to what Paul was doing in Ephesus and Jesus was doing in Capernaum. Yeah, we should mention it was that New York wasn't the only place. Right. I mean, there was San Francisco is another example. I think it was called the Beehive out there where, where a similar model was followed and was successful as well. And uh, Elder Haskell moved from New York to Nashville, Tennessee, and did mm-hmm. the same thing over again. So uh, we do have examples of these things. The question is, are we doing it today? That's the, you know, are we still aware, still applying the plan that is consistent and, uh, you know, these three things that we've looked at and, uh, and why not, why or why not? Right. So Jeff, in light of, in light of what you know, we're talking about today, I suppose some people may have, uh, uh, questions of exactly you know, how, how is it that we can go about doing something like this? Um, because there's always, you know, there's always those obstacles that come up uh, I don't know. What are some of the obstacles that you can think of that might be financial? You know, where do we get the money to do yeah. this kind of thing? Yeah, or where do we find the 
you're the right people. Mm-hmm. There's whatever. nobody who wants to do this or. Right. And, th- and those are, those are real. Uh, they're, they're things that we encounter, but it, it the, the fact that there are obstacles to, does not negate the, the pretty clear idea that God has a specific plan for going about doing things. And I think that whenever God has a plan, he also makes a way. I don't know about how you guys think, but I think that that's, that's the case if we're willing to follow. We've, we've seen God work in, in ways and, you know, financially there are, there are people in uh, the city where we are who have helped out They're They're not in Venice, but they've said, Hey, you guys are doing a good work and, and we want you to continue to do that. There's those kinds of resources, not just financially, but, you know, we have all kinds of volunteers from the community and, you know, that's where you find your laborers. And, and so if you are, if you have the intention to make somebody's life better, other people are going to notice that and want to join in. And, uh, it can be something that grows. We should never worry about that part of it because the Bible teaches us that God has a cattle on a, has the cattle on a thousand hills and that, uh, and uh, finances and resources and those sorts of things, you know, when he, when his work is in place, it, it comes, yeah. you know, so, from, so I guess what we're saying is if there's somebody, if, if we have friends listening that are kind of being inspired to do something on this, this level that <laughs> yes, go, God is telling you to it. do that thing. <laughs> go yeah, for the, it. The other thing I do want to say though, about this, and it's near and dear to my heart. And that is what God is in this plan. God is trying to give us an example of what a body at work looks like the body of Christ. And this is not an individualized function. You know, we need to recognize that there might be somebody who's administrative, but that mean, doesn't necessarily mean they're the boss or they're running the show or whatever, that this is clearly a function of spirit giftedness to pull this off and God will. Uh, and so it's soup, it becomes super effective and exciting to find yourself um, in a situation where the body is working within the plans of God. And that's when really exciting things happen. Yeah, that's, that's when the glory of God gets to shine through because nobody is, well, just like the, the three instruments, the three systems, how we work and how they're not to supersede one another. Well, that's how God is too. And that's how he wants us to work. And, you know, we're, we're longing for the day when we'll, we'll get to see that, when we'll get to see the, the body of Christ working in perfect harmony. And, you know, I think we've had a few glimpses of that, but really the, the best time to see that is, is, is yet to be seen. You know, it's, it's still ahead for us. And to, to see the church coming together to work in a way where everybody's working like this well-oiled machine and nobody is saying, oh, this is, this is my ministry. No, this is God's ministry. Well said. Well, that's kind of it for today. All right. Well, if you would like to hear more information, we have, a, we have some other resources on the website where we actually did a, a conference back a few years back, um, more on the history of, of city ministry in the Adventist Church. And you can take a look at that in the messages section of the website. And then, of course, it's all over in, the, uh, in some of the downloads there you can check out too. Um, it explains it. So yeah, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, I'm Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. God bless. Take care.